If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the WTF1 podcast, That Time When Edition. Today, it's myself and, of course, the WTF1, I should do that slowly as well, shouldn't I, founder, Tom Bellingham, back in your ears once again, and with his knowledge, wisdom, and just general F1 expertise. It's great to have you. I couldn't miss a a podcast about Monaco either, could I? You couldn't, of course. You know, you were a very busy man, but you cancelled all your plans just to be here. So (laughs) I really appreciate it. Of course, today we are talking about the 2011 Monaco Grand Prix. So that is 11 years ago. Good Lord. Uh, And it was an absolute worldie. And it was at Monaco. So that's why, yeah. And to be fair, you know, we give Monaco its stick, but they have had some ridiculously crazy races. Not often. But they've had some crazy ones. Obviously, we had one in, in 82, one in 96, one in 2011. That's kind of almost so 40, it's almost the same years apart. So 82 to 96, 14 years, 96 to 11, 15 years. But, you know, maybe, okay, so 2026 with the new regulations, we're going to be doing this again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but they'll uh, have the car to car alerts on and they'll uh, <laughs> just be chaos. And alert them to the wall or something and then it'll uh, all go bad. But anyway, yes, so today we are going to talk about 2011 and the craziness of the Monaco Grand Prix. So let's uh, let's cast our minds back to what F1 was like over 10 years ago. And surprisingly, there wasn't Mercedes domination. I know this hasn't lasted forever and may have ended this year, uh, but it was Sebastian Vettel who was actually starting his dominant era uh, and uh, well, we say dominant era. Was it that dominant? That's up for discussion. But uh, he'd just won his first title after the craziness of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, uh, where uh, they did all that covering off, didn't they? And uh, Weber and Alonso were covering each other off, and yeah, and Vettel was the champ. Four four drivers could win the title going into that race. Vettel being one of them, hadn't led the title all year and then won the title. Just standard, isn't it, really? Yeah. That's, that's the way to do it. Lead on the last race. That's all you need. Um, so, yeah, so Sebastian Vettel had started dominating Formula One, and it was the first year of the Pirelli tyres and DRS. Baby DRS had just been born. What was uh, what was the, the, the thoughts and feelings around DRS when it was first introduced? Uh, a lot of the old school fans didn't like it, but it did really work. I, think, I remember the first race was at Melbourne, and a lot of people were like, oh, DRS doesn't work, but it's Albert Park, it's difficult. And there was actually controversy around DRS at Monaco because a lot of the drivers said it was unsafe. Uh, they didn't think it was good and should be implemented. And all the teams voted against it apart from Williams, I think. So they allowed it. So, <laughs> so thank you, Williams. Um, so let's look at the qualifying then for the Monaco Grand Prix in 2011. Sebastian Vettel continued on his dominating era and scored uh, his pole position round there. Um, Perez... However, had a horror crash. Uh, Did yeah, what the red flags? Very lucky. Um, uh, there was a crash there in '94. Uh, Carl Vendiger went out the, uh, came out the tunnel, lost it, 
and actually ended up in, in a coma, uh, which shows how you know incredibly safe the cars are now that Press had a, a near identical crash, uh, flew out the tunnel, hit the essentially, um, you know, when they go into the chicane, hit that wall there. Um, but it was a lot safer uh, back then. Uh, and uh, he was thankfully uh, okay, but a, a scary crash, uh, which ended up delaying uh, qualifying, like red flagging qualifying. Yeah, I do remember that. That was uh, It was a scary old crash when you saw it, wasn't it? It was uh, something that kind of put your heart in your mouth a little bit yeah. uh, when you see it. But thankfully, he's all good. And of course, he is still in Formula One, is Sergio. Uh, and Lewis Hamilton... Didn't have a great season overall in 2011, but oh, yeah, tell me about uh, it. <laughs> had a bit of a shocker in Monaco as well. Yeah, this kind of summed up the season. I mean, he was second in the championship at this point, albeit a long way off Vettel, because when we mentioned that Vettel started dominating F1, this was his fourth pole in five races. He'd won four of the first five races and finished second in the other. So he was, you know, starting to completely dominate the season. Hamilton was second, but this is the race as we go into it where things started to unravel and uh some people may know this already but 2011 yeah probably hamilton's worst season in formula one uh, a rare blip in his amazing career and uh yeah hamilton was fastest in q1 q2 and of all places at monaco you decide no i'm only going to do one run at the end why they thought that was a good idea you know it's it's Monaco, things can change. And then the Perez crash happened. Red flag came out. There was only a little bit of time left. He managed to set a lap that wasn't particularly great because he only had one run. Uh, and it was kind of like a race round to get, you know, get to the line. And uh, then he ended up making a mistake on his lap anyway and got his time deleted. So he was 10th. So a shocker for Hamilton. And you don't want to be starting 10th at Monaco, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, the worst track to not be starting at the front. Uh, so now let's turn our attention to the Sunday and the race. Uh, so, of course, Vettel uh, got away from pole absolutely fine uh, and was ahead of Button and Alonso. And, of course, you know, 2011, we're reflecting on Michael Schumacher being being around. We've got to know, bring being, him in into being an every absolute that time legend. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, without fail. Um, Shimmy was uh, P five uh, and had a bad start. I mean, it just wasn't. It wasn't the. It wasn't the greatest time to be a Schumacher fan because uh, a lot of the time he just wasn't wasn't particularly great or just crashing into people. Yeah. Uh, but he made a very cheeky move on on Lewis Hamilton, didn't he? He did. Yeah. The he his anti stall kicked in at the start and he dropped way back, but at the hairpin uh, he. He dropped, yeah, back behind Hamilton and then made a cheeky opportunistic move, I'd say, uh, which is quite funny because I'm sure you remember this, Matt, but uh, the year before was the one where he put that very opportunistic move on Fernando Alonso, car. where he ended up getting a penalty. That was which, a safety car thing, wasn't yeah, it? Well, yeah. yeah, which even as a non-Schumacher fan, that is one of my favourite overtakes of all time because it is just sums up Schumacher's <laughs> cheekiness, like pushing the rules to the limit. Uh, if anyone doesn't know, yeah, it was... Uh, they hadn't. They basically allowed you to race before the safety car line and said, uh, "Like there's a safety car line, and then it's go rather than the actual start line." And uh, for the first time ever, Schumacher just absolutely lunged into the final corner before they reached the start line, and it was controversial. And it was like, "Is this the wording of the rule or not?" And they changed it eventually, but it was really funny. Wasn't and, it? Uh, wasn't it yeah. because it was 
the last lap. It was the last lap. Yeah, yeah that so. was the difference is that you can race after the safety car line apart from if it's the last lap. Yeah. And then you couldn't. And so he sent just... it and the in, uh, down the inside of the final corner. Of, of, to of, get an extra of all people as well, Fernando Alonso. Yeah, well, it was brilliant. But uh, alas, it was gets a penalty. Yeah, sad times. Uh, anyway, back to 2011 and uh, the first pit stops. So Jensen Button pit first. Uh, Vettel had a, a slow stop and, and messed up his strategy a little bit, didn't he? He did. Button stopped. Uh, for the super soft. So Vettel had like a decent lead, probably like three or four seconds. So it wasn't going to be uh, overturned, but Button did stop first for the super softs. And, Cheeky uh, undercut. Went for the undercut, but he wasn't realistically going to do it. However, um, Vettel came in on the next lap to cover him. And not only there was a complete communication error, not, uh, I, I'd say less extreme than the Daniel Ricciardo one in 2016, if you remember that. Um, but a communication error nonetheless. And he ended up, rather than putting another set of super softs on, which is what he wanted just to cover button, they fitted in with the hard tires and it was also a slow stop because he didn't have the tires ready and they just panicked and rushed, stuck him on some hard tires and uh, he lost the lead to button. So he'd lost the lead to button and was on far worse tires. Not what you want. It's weird. Was there ever any explanation as to why... It was so chaotic. No, they just completely messed it up. I think that uh, there are there is talk that like the communications around Monaco are, are not great, and obviously, oh even yeah, they just say that, didn't they? even just eleven eleven years ago. I mean, I watched a little bit back of the race, and even the team radio, you know, it's not very clear. Uh, so yeah, big not mistake ideal. from Red Bull. Not for the yeah, first time. Not, yeah, was, the say, first, yeah, they, was the they, first time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there was a few after that as well. Um, so the next phase of the race was uh, a safety car when, when Lewis Hamilton crashes with Felipe Massa, which was something that just became a recurring theme. Uh, those two coming together. Didn't they come together in India? India, uh, Singapore. Uh, there was a few others as well. Because there, there was an interview, wasn't there, where Massa like, tapped him on the shoulder Mm. And and it seemed like their relationship was going to get very sour. Uh, you have to were... be doing quite bad things as well to fall out with Felipe Massa, who's probably one of the nicest people on the grid as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, those two just kept coming together. Uh, and I, I do love, <laughs> I say I love, it's funny when I see, you know, Verstappen and Hamilton fans arguing on Twitter and, you know, one side is arguing that Verstappen crashes all the time. The other side is arguing that Hamilton crashes all the time and they either bring up the three, uh, well, the, the, the touches that Hamilton have done to Red Bull or they bring up like 2011 where he was crashing all the time and it's like, yes, drivers do evolve. Yeah, though. exactly. And, uh, That's the thing with Hamilton. Like we'll see this throughout this podcast that uh, Hamilton, no doubt, is an unbelievable driver and has matured a lot now. Uh, but this was, you know, Every driver goes through it. Charles Leclerc's gone through it. Mm. Uh, Verstappen's gone through it. They're, they're at that kind of stage. Um, particularly Leclerc, like now, is at that stage that Hamilton was. You know, this is Hamilton's uh, seven, eight, eight, fifth, fifth year in Formula One. So he's been around a while, but still fairly new. And yeah, just had a bit of a, a shocker. But yeah, Hamilton crashed into Massa at the hairpin. And it was one of those moves where he'd it's essentially... Lunch, yeah, he'd, he'd done what Schumacher did to him, uh, but Massa didn't play ball. To be to be fair, I kind of get where he was coming from when he said that like Massa turned in really early on him. 
because Monaco, as we know, it's one of those things where when you make an overtake, you kind of rely on the other person a little bit as well to to kind of play fair and, and let it happen. Uh, but Massa turned in very early because of the, he had another car in front of him. And yeah, they ended up uh, colliding. Hamilton was sort of like clumsily pushing him around the corner because that corner is so tight at the hairpin. And then they went side by side through the tunnel. Massa got on the marbles, smashed into the wall and safety car. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Safety car, which changed the complexion of the race a little bit, didn't it? Uh, It meant for a a pretty crazy strategy race between the leaders. Uh, So you had Vettel in the lead from Fernando Alonso and then Jensen Button all of which were on different tyre lives. And, you know, you kind of needed that for, for Monaco when you had the driver with the worst tyres at the front. So it was very much train city. It was. The timing for Vettel was crucial at that safety car because uh, Button had just pitted for new tyres, so Vettel was back in the lead. And then he, obviously, behind the safety car, could decide whether he wanted to gamble and essentially put new tyres on. This was his chance to put new tyres on, but he would lose the lead to Burton or just risk going to the end. And he risked going to the end despite despite the mess up. And obviously this is an era where uh, the Pirelli tyres were appalling. Like the first year, they were, they were designed to be awful, uh, to make the racing spectacular. So nowadays, especially a track like Monaco as well, you say, oh, you, you've pitted and you've got to do all these laps on the hard tyre. Easy, really. Um, but this was dramatic. Like Vettel, was, it was going to be a huge struggle to do it. Uh, so Vettel had gone super softs, then hards. Alonso had gone super soft, super soft, softs. And Button had gone super soft, super soft, super soft, softs. So three stop Burn had a three stopper yeah. and then you basically had Vettel on 33 lap old hards Alonso had done 15 uh, his laps were 15 laps older but he was on the soft his, his laps were 15 laps older sorry his <laughs> tires were 15 laps older and he was on the softs um so he was much quicker than Vettel and uh there was a gap there Button had just pitted for softs so fresh softs uh, and also and then, Sorry, I was going to say worth mentioning that the tire compounds, of course, very different people hearing super softs, hyper softs, yeah. ultra hard. You know, there's all kinds of there was that era in Formula One where it was very much every color of tire was a different um, compound. Right. So yeah, had, exactly. Uh, a rainbow of, of, of colors. And these super soft tires were the ones you kind of wanted to be on. So they all pitted for lots of super soft tires and then softs at the end. And it was like the perfect recipe because... Sebastian Vettel was leading and you could just see the lap times and you were like, this is going to go down right to the end. And you're going to have Alonso who's faster than Vettel and Button who's faster than both of them. And they were, they, they did, they closed all up together and it ended up just being essentially the, the famous race 
I think it was 92 where it was Senna and Mansell that they show all the time of like that, that amazing battle. It was that, but with three, three cars. Yeah. It was incredible. And despite the two behind Vettel being incredibly quick, we didn't get to see really any overtakes, did we? Uh, no. Monaco. Well, uh, Alonso, Alonso did put a few faint, fainted moves in. Oh, that, that's uh, an overtake at Ram Monaco, isn't it? A little fainted move. That, that well, counts. to be fair, Alonso, uh, after the race, like skipping ahead a little bit, Alonso did say that you know he had a lot less to lose than Vettel and was willing to go for it, but he was obviously biding his time. Um, we'll until out. something until happened. something happened. Here yeah, we are. Alonso, then. Alonso would have. I think Alonso would have gone for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so of course it was very tense, uh, and it made Monaco as exciting as you can probably get uh, around uh, those streets. Uh, and another curveball happened, and this time maybe changed the complexion of the race for the for the worse. Uh, and that's because a red flag came out. Um, so the three leaders caught a huge bunch of traffic uh, and Petrov, Vitaly Petrov, um, crashed at the swimming pool right in front of the leaders. So not only did Petrov ruin Alonso's chances of winning the world <laughs> title, but also probably winning this Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, so they, threw the, uh, they flew the red flag because uh, there was concerns over Petrov's safety uh, yeah. and a bit of a shame, really, because, of course, red flag means you can change your tyres. Yeah, they'd they'd caught him up and by a huge bunch of traffic, we are talking a huge bunch of traffic. It was Satil, Petrov, Maldonado, Hamilton, Heidfeld, Barry Kello, Buemi, and Algaswari all in a row. And so you had all of them in a row fighting. And again, it was very similar to the leaders where there was a person at the front who I think it was Satil who tried a long stop, saving his tires. So he was backing everyone up. And then you had the three leaders that were catching him, and it was going to be they just caught them when this happened. It's going to be fascinating to see how the three of them would pick their, it couldn't have been worse timed. It was so annoying. It, this is so frustrating. And they'd managed to, yeah, catch him up. Uh, and then Hamilton had made a move on Petrov uh, and it hadn't really worked. Like they'd collided. Um, Satil hit the wall and got puncture. Perez then crashed in, uh, sorry, Pet Perez. Petrov crashed into, into the wall at the swimming pool. Algaswari crashed into the back of Hamilton. Absolute carnage. And somehow the three leaders didn't get involved, even though they were right behind him. Uh, and yeah, it was just absolute carnage. And the thing was that it seemed like such a nothing crash. And they did actually bring out the safety car, which meant that we would have had that amazing grandstand finish because it would still all be on the same tyres. And you'd have had a run to to the finish where Vettel would really have to, you know, he'd be on appalling tyres at this point and the two behind him would have gone for it. Um, but Petrov, uh, even though it looked like a bit of a nothing crash, uh, said he couldn't feel his legs and um, they panicked a little bit and threw a red flag because they thought Petrov was really injured, but he went to the medical centre and ended up being okay. Um, but there was concerns over him at the start, which is why they red flagged it. Fair enough. Fair enough. If they're hearing that from the driver, that you can understand why they would yeah. probably um, put the red flag out. Uh, and of course, as mentioned uh, with the red flag, uh, the conversation around the tyre rules comes in. Every yes. single time there is a red flag, this conversation comes up pretty much uh, because someone always benefits and someone always loses out. Uh, and Vettel was... Uh, 
pretty pretty lucky, uh, you could say, uh, for having that red flag come out because it meant he could change. I think they all went on to soft tyres, didn't they, after that? or Yeah, they could all just soft. change tyres yeah. all on the same tyre. Vettel wasn't challenged. Easy. Which is a Easy shame. Peasy, it's, yeah. it's one of those things, isn't it, where it, it does always feel like we had it with Shumi, we had it with Vettel in this era, we had it with Hamilton. You, you always feel like when it goes their way, you're like, oh, so lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you could argue that that Vettel would have probably won the race fairly easily if he hadn't have had that bodge pit stop where he was unlucky. Um, but it does seem like you have those moments, don't you, where the the title, uh, the, when someone starts dominating, when they have these moments, it always seems to go in their favour. And it certainly feels that way for F1 fans, doesn't it? Where you're like, oh, you're so yeah, lucky. Yeah, the fans How are just like, happen? well, you've had four out of the last five wins and now you get this. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's understandable, uh, the frustration. Um, but... I suppose if they didn't have the tire change, though, it it probably wouldn't have been that exciting just purely because I'm sure Vettel would have got mugged off the line anyway. So I can't imagine. Oh, it's a very short rundown towards turn one, but you'd have to imagine the fresher tires behind probably yeah. would have jumped him. But yeah, I suppose Pet- Petrov crashing any uh, like full stop obviously ruined that uh, fascinating little. Uh, uh, getting yeah, through the it was traffic. a rolling rolling start, so he would have had to have sent it. Oh right, uh, was, what was the reason yeah. for being rolling? Well, they didn't have that rule back then with the... Oh, about standing uh, starts. Yeah, they just went start behind the uh, okay. safety car. That's strange, isn't it? That's, mm. I don't know why they... Why did they end up changing it? What was the reasoning? Uh, just for more drama? Maybe more, more exciting, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. Okay, interesting. Um, so, as we mentioned, Vettel goes ahead and wins the race. Uh, no real excitement because everybody has the same tyres. Uh, Hamilton has <laughs> a, a bit of a shocker. <laughs> Hamilton's race so uh, bearing in mind at this point he'd had his problem in qualifying skipped the chicane got a penalty then he'd crashed with Massa and got a drive-through penalty he crashed with Petrov uh, just then before the red flag Uh, he'd then got plowed into the back of by Algaswari in that melee and broken his rear wing which they spent time fixing and repairing and then Hamilton managed to start the race because they the red flag period meant he could damage uh, repair his damaged rear wing uh, and then he sent it on Maldonado at turn one uh, and managed to get a uh, like collided with him and got a 22nd post-race time penalty which did nothing because there was no one behind him because it was chaos <laughs> and uh, still finished six but um, yeah, Hamilton's race was kind of one thing actually, uh, which is quite amusing that I found that I, I don't even remember, but imagine the days of F1 Twitter now is that Hamilton did actually get past Schumacher earlier in the race and Hamilton came on the radio and Schumacher kind of turned in a little bit, but then realized the move wasn't going past. And I think Hamilton had lost his head at this point and he got over the radio and called Michael Schumacher a dirty driver. He said, what a dirty driver. And imagine How imagine if F1 Twitter was around in these days, like the controversy of with, the with team radio. About and, four different cars yeah, to get points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. He had yes. a it, this was probably Hamilton's most chaotic race, which continued. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there was quite a bit of controversy, wasn't there? Uh, through Hamilton's uh, uh, battle 
literally through the field. Um, and surprisingly enough, I don't know how this was even possible, really. 27 overtakes uh, in in this race. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that probably leans towards the tyres and the, the differences in the compounds of some of the drivers and leaving them quite open to, to an overtake, maybe into turn one or uh, out of the tunnel. Um, the question is, I suppose, Tommy, and you're the one that wrote this down, but I'm going to ask you anyway, <laughs> could, could, a, could a special tyre just for Monaco, help with help with boring races. I mean, we've seen one stops now, haven't we, in Monaco recently, and it, that is the only exciting bit of the race when it's going to jumble up the order. So essentially, if you have more pit stops, you're going to have more moments where the order's jumbled up. And Monaco, I get why people don't like it, uh, however much I like it, um, because people just want to see like overtaking and they think the race is boring. Um, but Monaco, when it was good, could provide really exciting races because it was hard to overtake. And, and the drama came from, you know, Daniel Ricciardo's bad pit stop or um, other things like that, you know, <laughs> uh, 96, where everyone retired. Things like that is what caused the, the drama and the chaos. So, yeah, um, I think a special tyre could help, but uh, it's probably not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. No, no chance. Uh, but I guess I suppose the problem with Monaco is, and the you know when there is these one stops, as you say, is that in recent years, especially, we've seen the leader go at an absolute snail's pace. I'm pretty sure we had like back markers from like a year or two ago setting the fastest lap yeah. of the race because the front lot were just managing a one stop. And the cars are so wide now that yeah, you can do that. Um, and it, you just sort of the person at the front can save their tires so much because there's no way the other person's going to get a move, no matter how slow they go, they can just power it out all the corners that they need to when it matters and go as slow as they like. Could they? I'm just trying to think of what they could do with Monaco, but then again, like, how do you treat Monaco as a different F1 race because yeah. of its characteristics? Like, and then you go, is that fair well? for the championship? But exactly. Because then it's like, oh, is it gimmicky? Like, do you force two stops? Like, what do you do to try and enhance it? Because Monaco, let's, let's, I know you're a massive fan of Monaco and you want it to stay on the calendar. And I am absolutely here for Monaco Saturdays, but let's just have it at Monaco Saturday and then move on to the next race. You know, like Sundays are, <laughs> apart from a, day a race like this is, um, are usually not that great, um, but I do understand the, the the reason it's on on there. But it is uh, it's difficult for for newer F one fans as well to to appreciate exactly why we're at Monaco. Um, yeah, I totally understand that. My love of Monaco is very much built on nostalgia. The first race I ever watched was amazing. It was the first Grand Prix I ever went to with my dad. So, like, I've got that nostalgia for it. You stole I totally, the sign. Exactly, stole, stole <laughs> the sign. And I don't, totally understand that uh, new Formula One fans come in and just go like, well, Monaco means nothing to me because I've watched seven races there and they've all been utter garbage. So um, it's it's a difficult one. Uh, but it, it does show with smaller cars and you know, Formula E have absolutely banging races around there because the cars are a lot smaller. But these new cars, however much they say they're getting smaller, they're not going to be that much smaller in 2026. And it's going to be an interesting year to see how this year, if it's even worse or better, because 
yeah, 27 overtakes in a dry race at Monaco is crazy. But Speaking last year we weather, had zero. Actually, let us have a, I'm going to live on the podcast look up the weather for Monaco. Has it changed? Because you, changed, you, you, you posted some stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, well, it, they've got three slight o'clock. rain What's showers three o'clock? between 10 and 2. Okay. Uh, showers, but, yeah. But it's not, I don't, I mean, it, it looks, I think it will be dry, to be honest with you. Like the percentage <laughs> of, of rain is like 20% on the podium. Is highest. So, um, yeah, literally it'll be these, or the second before it, uh, we, they go lights out, it'll be bone dry. But, um, I mean, obviously that would, that would change things. Uh, then, then all of a sudden Monaco is incredibly exciting because no room for error whatsoever. Uh, so, so yeah, there you go. That is what happened. Uh, in the 2011 Monaco Grand Prix. Tommy, final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, one thing we actually haven't dived into is that there was some more Hamilton controversy after the race because he um, he went absolutely in on the stewards. I think he, he had literally just lost his head at this point. And um, he said after the race, uh, there's been six races. I've been to the stewards five times. It's a joke, an absolute freaking joke. And then uh, there's a famous um, and controversial uh, comment he made where he made a joke about Ali G uh, and they, they asked why he think he's always going to the stewards. And he said, maybe it's because I'm black and then made a joke saying, that's what Ali G says. But unsurprisingly, well yeah, unsurprisingly the British newspapers and everyone jumped on it and uh, not the, not a great, um, not one of the greatest moments of Hamilton's career but yeah this this year you could you could argue the year potentially maybe was the the turning point for Hamilton because uh it is when his McLaren relationship started to go down he had a bad year the year after he was pretty damn good uh very good actually and could have won the title if McLaren had been better and more reliable um but maybe this was the the year where Hamilton started to go, maybe I, maybe I won't be at McLaren forever because he's one of those. What he's one of those drivers where you thought he was going to be at McLaren forever because he'd been through the whole stable, even more than you know, like Verstappen at Red Bull or or a Leclerc at Ferrari. He was McLaren through and through, and it's weird to think uh, that there was a time where it was so huge him leaving, um, but it turned out to be a rather good decision, didn't it? Yeah, he's won a few championships, I think. So uh, well, well done to him. Good uh, good choice. Right. Thank you very much, Tommy, for your time. And thank you, everybody, for, for listening to this uh, return of the That Time When series. So hopefully you've uh, been enjoying it. Hashtag WTF1 podcast. If you want to send any comments, if you want to suggest any future ideas for That Time Whens. Uh, we've we'll got of course an email be... now if you're old school as well. Yeah. What's that then, Tommy? Podcast at WTF1.com if you want to send anything. Any suggestions? Ideas or ABCDF1 jingles or whatever. Whatever you want. Send it over there. And, as long as uh, it's nice. Be awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. of course. Of course, if not, then you will not receive a reply. Uh, anyway, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you. Uh, give us five stars, thumbs up, whatever you want to do uh, on whatever you're listening on. And we will see you next time. Enjoy Monaco. I'm on holiday. Uh, I will be doing internet special reactions, but Tommy and Katie will be taking you through the quality watch along and uh, any other stuff we do so look forward to that and uh, i'll see you on the other side of monaco Ooh, monaco Woo.
Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>